Welcome to the preaching ministry of Tri-City Baptist Church in Chandler, Arizona. Our desire is that God would be magnified through the preaching of His Word, and that Christians would be challenged, strengthened, and edified in their personal walk with Christ. I invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to Romans chapter 10. Romans 10, we're going to be doing something a little bit different this evening. want to give you kind of a synopsis on our trip to Italy, Israel, Egypt, and in doing this, really thanking you as a church for your prayers, um, some of the blessings, and then some of the lessons of that time. It really was a, a church trip. I will say it was one of the more challenging ones to plan. Uh, when Pastor Mike had announced this just about the time that he had accepted the position in Washington and we were doing this together, uh, it, it seemed like it would be a, a fairly simple thing to do back then and then COVID hit and that changed everything. And it really was the level of difficulty, but the reward of that then was in, in a number of ways. Uh, for one thing, the, all of the countries were really excited to have tourists again. And it, it really had a, a devastating effect on the lives of individuals. It didn't really hit the, especially in Israel, it didn't hit the economy generally so much because the, uh, the high-tech industry is where a lot of the money comes from but many of the individuals work in the tourist industry and so they felt it personally and so there really was an openness and an excitement on that side there also weren't the crowds but we appreciated so much your prayers one of the challenges on something like that is I was talking with some of our, our young people today about camp the, the thing that kept coming up was there was a level of anxiety because of the unknown well when you're traveling in the age of COVID there's a lot of unknowns and the restrictions, the rules, the testing requirements were changing even as we were preparing the trip and even as we were traveling. I think I mentioned last week uh, when we, we had to all be tested to come back to the United States and then we found out the day we were getting tested that that was going to change uh, about six hours after we landed and be, no longer be required. But it was required for us. And so I appreciate so much your, your prayers. Uh, one of the things that really, on, on trips like this, and if those of you that have been to Israel, one of the reasons I'm sharing this is kind of bring some of those memories back, but also if you haven't been, if there's ever the opportunity, it really is life-changing. But there are multiple aha moments as you see what is taking place. And what I found with this trip was uh, particularly seeing the, the different countries. Uh, initially, our plan had not been to go to Italy. Uh, our plan when Pastor Mike and I were talking about it and even announced it, we're, we're looking at Egypt and Israel uh, with the intention of starting in Egypt. When we got the itinerary from the tour company, uh, I looked at it and said, this is not, not going to be a great tour. And I, I thought, I can, I can make it work. We can do this. Pastor Mike had the same feeling. We said, let's, let's re-examine. The, the way they had set it up, we would go to Egypt, and then we'd probably spend about five days crossing the desert. And I thought, I, I really don't want the children in the wilderness experience. And that's what it looked like. And I was looking at some of the sites and saying, to spend a whole day to get to that site is not worth it. Uh, when you have limited time, you want to maximize the, the sites that you're seeing. And I think we were able to do that. But one of the, the biblical truths that was impressed upon me very quickly as we, we saw this was, was what we find here in Romans chapter 10. 
And I want us to begin here this, this evening. As it says in Romans 10, uh, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have, sub- have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. This really is a key passage and, and, and draws the line that divides all world religions. All religions fall into one of two categories, either doing something to, to earn favor, to establish merit, to get righteousness with God, to be accepted, or trusting in the finished work of Christ alone. That it's either doing or done. And, and I, I, I was again struck with that as we, we were on this trip of the, the, how much of that is taking place, starting in, in Italy. It was, it was an enjoyable time, but to come to Italy and we began, we, we, we left here early in the morning and then arrived there at 8 o'clock in the morning. And so traveling and time zones uh, and started by visiting St. Paul outside the walls. This is a papal basilica. It's one of four major basilicas in Rome, and and we visited all of them. Uh, There are actually only four major basilicas in the world, and a basilica is is the designation that the Pope gives to a building that distinguishes it from churches. It gets to kind of move to the top shelf. And so in Catholicism, uh, the, the basilica possesses a papal throne. There is a papal high altar, which uh, they, they can celebrate the mass, but only with the Pope's permission. And so there's four major basilicas in the world. There are 1,810, as of 2019, minor basilicas. But the major ones are in Rome. And so we started with with this one. It's outside the walls. It means it was outside the old city of Rome. It was founded by the Emperor Constantine uh, and supposedly marks the place where Paul is buried. Uh, There's lots of traditions surrounding these, and uh, pretty much everywhere you go in Israel, if there's a church, there's a tradition that goes with it. Um, Whether that tradition is true or not, it's, it's hard to know. But obviously there's something that goes back, some story. And, and, and this was an interesting one because it, it's got these massive doors and, and the panels tell the story of, of Paul's life. Begins with the, uh, his being there at the stoning of Stephen. The top panel on, on the left is stoning of Stephen. And then on the other side is his Damascus Road experience where he, come, he meets Jesus and Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then his reception by the Christians uh, in the the lower left panel and then ultimately being beheaded in Rome as the final panel. And then his body being moved, I believe it was moved to uh, outside the the city and uh, being 
buried here. It's a beautiful building as far as the, the architecture, uh, and yet what you find is, is it also very clearly demonstrates the need of how to establish your own righteousness. I was struck in walking through here as we, we looked at the confessionals. I was trying to get a picture of Pastor Ball in one, but he wouldn't go, and he said only if you'll go inside it. And so that didn't work out. Uh, but that and then on many of the, the chairs, the kneeling benches, to have this, this statement in multiple languages of, of the ability to uh, get a plenary indulgence. And so with the confession booth to go to the priest to confess where we would say, no, we, there, there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. But they're, they're seeing the need to go to the, a person. And then the, the indulgences. And so in, in Roman Catholic teaching, even with salvation, there is still a need for punishment for sin. And so the sins are forgiven through the sacrament of penance, but there's still some kind of a punishment that has to take place that, that is due to the sinner because of their sin. And so this will either occur in this life, in their teaching, or in purgatory. And so the doctrine of purgatory in Catholicism is that part of that purification process for, for what hasn't been dealt with in this life. And the indulgence then allows for the cancellation of that pain, that painful aspect of the punishment. But in Catholic teaching, it says, and I quote, this gift cannot be received automatically. And so they set up the indulgences. So if you'll go to these basilicas, if there are, there are certain things that you'll, you can do to earn merit to alleviate that punishment. And, and so as, as interesting it is to see this, my, my heart was grieved as I, I'm thinking of these verses. Christ is the end of the law. It is finished. Tetelestai. And, and to, to see this, we, we went from there, we saw a number of them. We saw P, uh, St. Peter's Basilica the, in Vatican City. Uh, this is the papal enclave, as you're probably aware. It's, it's supposedly where, where Peter is buried. And he's uh, supposedly buried directly under the high altar or the altar of confession. It's not real clear, but it's that, that dark area uh, in the center of the picture on the right in the, uh, inside this church. But that is the high altar. And he's buried underneath of that. And it's also a place where because of that and the idea that, that Peter was the first pope in, Rome, in, in Catholic teaching, which uh, when, when we went to Israel and we're at Compertium and, and talking about uh, going to the, the, you know, seeing the area and, and Jesus healing Peter's mother-in-law. And I think that's interesting when you consider, okay, if he was the first pope, he was obviously married because you know, he had a mother-in-law. And if he got a mother-in-law without having a wife, he wasn't very smart. Um, and so um, that, that Peter was married. But again, there's, there's taking ideas and building a theology off of it that is, that is not biblical. It's extra biblical. And yet to see this, but because of the, the idea that Peter has been buried here, then many of the other popes have also wanted to be buried here. And as you walk through, you have multiple places where there are uh, statues, you know, depicting the popes, or you've got the corpse there that is on display in, the, in this basilica. 
and to, to see all of this taking place, that uh, St. Peter's Square is where uh, thousands of people will come, and the Pope res- uh, presides over various uh, events, liturgies throughout the year, and, and at times those also can help get plenary indulgences. And so those that will make those, those trips or pilgrimages. And, and to, to see these types of things and, and the focus on this. Uh, people uh, re- sorry, receiving the Eucharist, the, uh, the Mass, and as this is taking place, it's, it's, you know, it's rather interesting because when we have a service, we're really focused in our, our pulpit is at the center. Uh, in a Catholic church, it's, it's the Mass, it's the sacrifice the, that is at the center. Uh, but, you know, we're walking in as tourists as their service is going on. And they're allowing that. But, you know, again, to see they're, they're partaking in the, the mass, which is, is re- said to be this is the literal body and blood of Christ. It's, it's the re-sacrificing rather than it is finished. And so to, to see this and, and, and to recognize this, the, the other picture there is um, one of the other churches in the area. Um, trying to remember which one this was. I think this is the, uh, the St. John Lateran outside of Vatican City. Uh, that It's the oldest and highest ranking of the basilicas, the four that are in Rome. And so to, that, that's actually where the Mass is taking place. The other one is a 5th century church uh, that was built in honor of a woman who was martyred and it's supposedly built where her house was. And, and yet the emphasis on these. But with, with the, the emphasis on Christian teaching, some aspect of it, the truth, and, and as Pastor Ball had mentioned at one point, he said, you know, when you, when you see what is here, there is so much truth in so many places, and yet it's missed. That there's the addition. And, and you've got this, and yet you're also surrounded with uh, other types of worship. Uh, emperor worship, the, the paganism, you've got the full spectrum of religion in a very small area. So uh, we go from there to the, the pantheon, the, the temple of the gods, literally all gods, pan, all, theos, gods. And it's probably the best preserved of ancient Roman architecture dating back to about 125 A.D. Uh, It's been said to be the eighth wonder of the ancient world. Uh, It's a a fascinating building to to go inside and to, again, look at the architecture. It's really an ideal sphere. The center point is at the center of the building. Uh, The columns that hold this building up came from Egypt. And they're all one piece. Many columns you see are built. And, and yet, again, they're, they're imitating. This, this structure has been imitated in many other buildings, uh, including the, the library at the University of Virginia that was designed by Thomas Edison. But I thought, here, here you've got a strong emphasis on Roman Catholic teaching, and now you've got a church that is to all gods. And when you go in the Vatican Museum, then you find the, uh, the depictions of emperor worship. You've got the, the Caesars and on display. And uh, a temp- this, this is a statue of Diana. I had to take this picture because this is Diana, goddess of the Ephesians. 
And if you've been with us as we've been studying the book of Ephesus, we talked about the uprising when that church was started, when the gospel came to, to Ephesus, and the outcry, great is Diana, goddess of the Ephesians. Well, this monstrosity is that goddess. And, and so you've got all of this going on in Rome, and then the highlights of the, the power of Rome, the greatness of Rome from the first century. Uh, there, the, this is actually the Arch of Titus. The Arch of Constantine was, was right near that. But, but this arch here, the Arch of Titus, was a depiction of the victories. It was uh, about 50 feet tall. It has the Roman god Victory, who we know better by the name of the, the Greek name Nike, uh, here, but it shows the exploits and the conquering. And, and what is significant about this one is it shows the spoils from Jerusalem that had been brought to Rome because of the destruction of the temple and destruction of Jerusalem that took place in 70 AD. So that picture, and I've circled the, the menorah, and then the other circle is the table of the showbread, that they are showing that this is what was taken from Israel and brought back to Rome. And, and what is fascinating in understanding this, and I'm giving you the history of it, but those who had been captured would then be paraded. There would be a big celebration. There would be a parade coming, coming back with the spoils of war. And at the end of the celebration, the losing general of the army that had been conquered would be executed in a ceremonial event. And that happened when, when Titus came back, when coming back from, from Israel, Simon Barparoa, uh, one of the rebels from Jerusalem, was the one killed at the end of that victory parade. But bringing those spoils from Rome, and we, we have the details because Flavius Josephus recorded this. So he was in an interesting situation because he was a Jew, but he was also supportive of the, the Romans, and so he's seeing it from both sides through the Jewish eyes, but also from the Roman eyes. And, and he's speaking of that. And, and I, I, I found this fascinating because we'll, we'll be coming to this in, in a few weeks, but in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, we have this statement. When he, Christ, ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. It's really a picture of what would take place. And, and, and as Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, this would be their understanding. The conquering ruler bringing those captives and then giving the spoils. And to see that Christ is the one who conquered. And, and, and to see all of this in Rome, and then, of course, the Colosseum and that whole area. I don't have, I, I didn't, I'm showing you less than 5% of my pictures this evening. Uh, and I really did not have a good one that captured, that could show the whole area without a lot of explanation. But this was in the area where you've got the, the economic headquarters, you've got the political headquarters, you've got the judicial headquarters, you've got the crossroads, all roads lead to Rome, and the measuring starts from there, the, the temple of Saturn, the, and, and the Mamertine prison where Paul was being held, and the Colosseum. And in that context, with all the glory of Rome in her splendor, Paul is writing from prison about the victory that there is in Jesus Christ. As he says, I, I look forward, I anticipate standing before the Lord, the righteous judge, 
who will give the crown of life, and not to me only, but to all who love his appearing. And to be able to see the splendor of all that Rome used to be, and now it's in ruins, and Paul was in the midst of that saying, yes, but I'm on the winning side. And the tremendous blessing of that. From, from Rome, we then went to Israel, but I'm going to jump to Egypt and then come back to Israel in just a, a moment. But uh, most of us did the, the excursion. We actually did Egypt as an add-on, as an excursion. And, and we're familiar with Egypt for the pyramids. Uh, when I woke up, we got there late at night. We ended up getting to our hotel around 10. We're eating supper at 10.30. And when I woke up in the morning and looked out the window, I, I could see the pyramids. Uh, we went to the pyramids. We were able to uh, enjoy that. Uh, this one here is a massive structure. I tried to give a couple of pictures that give a little bit of the, the perspective, but I believe this is the one that the base alone is 17 acres. This goes back to the time of Joseph and Moses. And so, we're, you know, we're familiar with pyramids with Egypt. We're familiar with the, the mummies. We were able to go to one of the museums that had the, the parade of the royal mummies. And you go through and they've got all of these mummified corpses there and the write-ups. And I felt like I need a flow chart to keep track of all my pharaohs and you know, which one comes where. Uh, they didn't allow pictures in the royal mummy part, but they would allow with some of the others outside of that, you could take pictures. And so they, all I could get inside that was before we got into it was one of the, the, uh, the pictures they had up on the wall. But it was interesting to, to see this. And like I said, I trying to keep my Ramesses the second and fourth and, and Thutmose the third. And okay, where do they all fall? But to realize these are, the, these are pharaohs that, that we're reading about. I believe of the, that Thutmose the third is the pharaoh of the, the Exodus. Or the, and uh, recognizing that. But uh, to, to realize that when they did the process, a mummification, uh, they would remove the, the organs, the liver, the intestines, the lungs, the stomach, and put them in these other containers that would then be placed in the, uh, the enclosure with the, the mummified uh, corpse. But they wouldn't save the brain. They said because the brain gets people into trouble. So they, they didn't want them to have their brain in the afterlife. They would also, as they're preparing this, they would put them in another container and then they would also prepare the, the things they would need. Food and other things would also be mummified for the afterlife. And what was striking about all of this is the entire focus of the pharaohs from when they came to power was planning for eternity. They began building the pyramids because that would be their eternal home. And I thought, isn't it fascinating? We don't have their, their earthly homes, what they had lived in their palaces at that time, but we have the pyramids. And what I find, found striking and, and somewhat convicting was the realization that they had their focus on eternal things and how we as believers are the ones who are told to do that. Set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth. And yet that's what they were doing. I also was reminded as Pastor Jeff preached last week that uh, the vanity of life but the importance of eternity and as it says in Ecclesiastes 3.11 he has put eternity in their hearts. That they spent their, their time, their energy preparing for their eternal dwelling. And I, I thought this, this was Egyptian theology, but what I found especially intriguing was how was their eternal destiny determined? 
And this papyrus depicts the process that ultimately their eternal destiny was up to the gods. And there are 14 gods across the top of this papyrus that are determining the direction. There are, there are seven of the gods that are voting for this person to have eternal life. And it's, it's hard to see in the picture, but they're holding the symbol of eternity in their, their hands. So seven of them are in favor of eternal reward for this individual. The other seven are not. So how do you break the tie? You know, you, you've tried to live a good life, you've tried to do this, and, and what was fascinating as our, our guide explained it to us was that they then would take the heart, which is not one of the organs that was being saved, but they would put the heart on the scale and they would put a feather on the other side. And if their heart was lighter than the feather, then they would enter their eternal reward. If it was heavier, then they would not. And I thought, what a fascinating concept when you read in Exodus of the number of times that it states of Pharaoh hardening his heart. Twenty times in Exodus we find that statement. In Exodus chapter 7, verse 13, it says, Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them. And as the Lord said, so the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He refuses to let the people go. Down in verse 22, Pharaoh's heart grew hard. He did not heed them, as the Lord said. Pharaoh turned and went to his house, neither was his heart moved. Now, we read that and we think of the callousness, and that's, that really is part of the picture. But I thought, even in Egyptian thinking, what a difference that would have made. And, and I, I share this because so often when we read Scripture, we put it through our, our own personal grid rather than understanding the culture of the day. I thought one of the other insightful things for me of, of the trip was the realization, and Matthew tells us, it says in, in Matthew 2, verse 13, that when they had departed, behold, the angel appeared. This is after the wise men who had come to Bethlehem departed. The angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee to Egypt and stay there until I bring you word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Well, we know that story. We know of what takes place in Bethlehem. And, and then in verse 19, it says, And when Herod was dead, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Arise, take the child and his mother, and go into the land of Israel, for those who sought the young child's life are dead. And he arose, took the, his mother, the child and his mother, and came to Israel. And, and we, you know, we read that, and I don't know about you, but I never really stop and think about, okay, so where were they in Egypt? And again, there's a lot of tradition, but this is our guide. And our, our, our guide, Osama, was, was giving us the, the tradition of where they travel. And it was fascinating to realize, you know, if Herod is seeking their life, there's a very good chance that even in Egypt, Joseph was moving around. And so we had the opportunity of going into one of the churches, which is, again, a, there's tradition, history, that possibly this is where they stayed for a while. Uh, but to, to see that, and it just puts a, another dimension on, in, in my mind, of that, reading that passage in Matthew, 
We also had the opportunity of visiting the, the mosque. This is the mosque of Sultan Hassan. It was, uh, begun, it was built in the mid-1300s. It's said to be the greatest Islamic building in the world. Uh, we did have the opportunity of going inside of it. Uh, they do have a dress code. And so this is uh, Leslie Ball and Terry Riffle. Uh, but to, to see this, and, and again, to see here are people in there seeking to earn favor with God to do what is good, to be accepted. And, of course, Pastor Mike and I also tried to fit in as we were the area, and I did get to ride a camel. And so uh, we went from, most of our time, though, was spent in Israel. And we, we really, we crammed probably nine days into, or, uh, into eight while we were there. Just the way our schedule fell, the way the flights came the, the first day there, we were, were not able to do a lot. And so we were, but because of the lack of, of people uh, with COVID, with people not traveling, uh, there weren't the crowds. We were also there for, uh, we purposely set the schedule so that we would not be checking into a hotel on the Sabbath day. Uh, Learn from experiences of others, and some of you can attest to that from the last trip. Uh, but because of that, then, we ended up in uh, Jerusalem for two Sabbaths. And uh, the, the Saturday was the Sabbath, and then the next day was Pentecost, which was also then treated as a Sabbath. And so we had very few crowds. People were not moving, which made it very easy to get around. Uh, and, and not having all of that it was a tremendous blessing. Uh, but the majority of our trip was here. This is probably one of the more familiar pictures. Those of you, you see this, but the, the Dome of the Rock, the mosque that, that sits on the Temple Mount. Um, this is looking at it from the Mount of Olives. Uh, we, we saw a lot of sites, and I'm not going to give it in, in order, but just kind of bullet point through. Uh, we, we went to a number of places. We, we were able to see the, the Valley of Megiddo, uh, the Plain of Megiddo, spoken of in Zechariah 12. Uh, it's also Mount Carmel, and that's the statue there of Elijah, his showdown with the prophets of Baal. And to see this and then to realize this is, this is what's spoken of in Revelation 16. The, where it speaks of preparing for the great day of God Almighty at Armageddon, the Mount Armageddon, which is literally Mount Megiddo. And looking down at this valley and realizing this, this is not just past history of Elijah, but this is future of that great battle and, and what will take place. We, we traveled all over Israel, and Israel is not that large. It's about the size of New Jersey. As far as the, the area covered, we spent a, a couple of days up in the Sea of Galilee area, then down to the Dead Sea, uh, stopped by the, the Qumran Caves. This is where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. And then later went to the Israel Museum where you can view portions of those scrolls and they have the, uh, the facsimile of the scroll of Isaiah that was found there. That uh, Just again, it's that the affirmation, not that we need it, but of God's word where uh, liberal theologians had tried to deny things and then they find these scrolls and say, no, this, this has actually been written by Isaiah and, and just how the Lord preserved that and the protection of that and the accuracy of, our, of, of Scripture. 
And all of this is just a, a very encouraging thing. Of course, we were, were able to go to En Gedi. Uh, this is where David fled from Saul. This is where he, he hid, and it's that desert area down by the, the Dead Sea. The, the picture of the Qumran caves, is that's the, the typo, typography of this area. And yet this is also where he would write as the, as the deer pants for the water brooks. So pants my soul for you, O God. And uh, these are the caves there where in one of these caves is where he had the opportunity of killing Saul and did not do it. Uh, one of the other opportunities. And to, to see that. Uh, we, we were able to visit Nazareth, the Nazareth village uh, where they depict people in first century life, the uh, carpenter, the uh, weaving that is taking place. And uh, uh, to see this, there, there's also a, a, a tomb and uh, just a wine press, and they're explaining all of this, and to see all of that works. We, uh, we went to Magdala. Uh, that's the uh, more recently, the first, time, first couple of times I, I went to Israel, they had not discovered Magdala and to go there where uh, that really is a first century uh, town, the home of Mary of Magdala, Magdalene, Mary Magdalene would be from there, and to, uh, to be able to be there. Uh, we had the opportunity of going on the, for a boat ride on the Sea of Galilee, a picture of our, our pastors that were there, uh, just a, a wonderful time. Uh, of course, Pastor Larry, my, myself, Pastor Mike, Pastor Randy, and then uh, Pastor Dan Palatier. He's pastor at Hamilton Square Baptist Church in San Francisco. Uh, he and his wife were able to join us. One of the blessings of a, a trip like this, and one of the reasons that I, I encouraged uh, our pastors to go that can, um, is it really does make your, the Bible come alive and to have the opportunity of sharing the Word. And so here's um, Pastor Randy sharing uh, a devotional with us on the, the Mount of the Beatitudes, uh, Pastor Larry at the Biblical Gardens at Yad uh, Hashmonah, uh, where they, they teach the customs and just a, a great opportunity. Uh, uh, Pastor Dan Pelletier gave us a challenge on the boat. Pastor Mike at the, uh, the garden tomb. Uh, but I, I, I say this because it was um, 36 years ago. Uh, it was the first time that I was in Israel, and it was at Caesarea that I was asked to read scripture. Uh, it was at the, the amphitheater that was there, and I, I believe, I, I don't remember, but I, this time I, was, I read from Acts chapter 12 and of, of Herod as uh, he's receiving all this glory and the glory that comes, and they're saying, this isn't a man, this is a God. And it says at the end of that chapter, and God smote him because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten with worms and he died. It's a horrific death. But what struck me is, of course, we, this was one of the early sites we came to after coming out of Rome and all the splendor and all of the, the accoutrements of glory that was directed toward man. And to go back to Caesarea and read of, because Herod did not give God glory, God smote him and he died. But also to be here and realize this is, this is where Paul spent, a, and much of Acts is there. This, is, this would be, these are the, the ruins uh, there, but this would be the place where um, Paul was imprisoned. 
Uh, if you remember, he was arrested in, in Jerusalem because he was accused of taking uh, Gentiles into the temple area. The Jews wanted to kill him. Uh, those Gentiles were supposedly from Ephesus. And so then they come down, the, the centurion rescues Paul, uh, and they end up moving him for his own protection. They move Paul to Caesarea. And he's there for two years, over two years. So they're waiting for a bribe, and he won't do it, but he's, he's, he's preaching, he's, he's giving the word. And, and this would be that place, this would be where, where um, the, the Caesars, this would be where Pilate went. I mean, if they're not in Jerusalem, they're going to be at the, the coast. And so their palace, this palace would have been built right here. That would, uh, you've got the, the Mediterranean Sea, but you've also got their swimming pool. And, and to realize this, and, and it was at this point where Paul appealed to Caesar. Because he was not getting judicial satisfaction, he says, therefore I appeal to Caesar, and he's sent to Rome. And to, to realize, and, and I, I say that because when I was there 36 years ago, reading the scripture there, it's, it was kind of one of those where uh, the light comes on moments where I began seeing the Bible as more than simply two-dimensional. And to see the places, to, to understand the terrain, and that this is where Paul would have been. This was where the uh, Pilate, Felix, Festus, that we read about in Acts, they were here. And, and recognizing that, that he was imprisoned um, and then sent to Rome. And of course, we, we saw that, that area as well. Um, we, we spent several days in, the, in Jerusalem and around that area. This is a view of the um, Mount of Olives from the city of Jerusalem, looking across the valley and, and up onto the Mount of Olives. The, the church there that you can see uh, pretty much at the center is the All Nations Church that's right next to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's a kind of a landmark. It's got murals inside that are speaking of some of those things. But it, it's really the reason for, for going here is that this is, this is the Garden of Gethsemane. And to see the trees, the olive trees, Gethsemane uh, means the oil press. It's the pressing of the olive oils. There would be that taking place here. And as our Lord went there the night of, you know, before his crucifixion and prayed, I had the privilege of, of sharing a devotional there with our group. And, and just to be there and, of course, then to go to the garden tomb and to uh, have a time there. As Pastor Mike uh, shared with us, many of you have been there. And uh, this is one of two possible sites for uh, Christ's uh, tomb. Uh, I, I like this one better than the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, uh, but we were able to get into a number of places even in there that normally it is just packed with people. It's, it's all the high church uh, accoutrements, the incense. I just, it's not a place I really enjoy. I like to go because it, we don't know for sure where, where the Lord was buried, but these are the two sites that are, are given the, uh, the most uh, prominence as the possibilities, so you want to be there, but uh, this one is just a much nicer setting and seems much more, more fitting. But it was, again, the reminder of the empty tomb that we serve a risen Savior. And, and, and thinking back to, to Romans 10.4, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. 
to, to see people trying to earn and to see the excitement. We went to the, uh, the Temple Institute and uh, the lady that, that was talking to us and, and they are ready to, I mean, they've all, they're, they're putting the instruments together for the temple. Uh, if you go to their website, the, the, the big article on the front page is, uh, is they're working to get that red heifer that they need for the, for the sacrifice. But she was so excited about what could come and she was talking about how we just need to live a good life. We need to be good people. We need to do good things. And I thought, Romans 10. My, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they would be saved. They're trying to establish their righteousness. And whether that, that be with the, uh, the basilicas, the mosques, whether it be the, the ritual washings of the, the Jewish boys that are going to the Wailing Wall, or those who are in great devotion, crawling up the stairs, ascending the, the Scala Sancta, the 28 white marble stairs that are, are known as the Holy Stairs. This is back in Rome, the one in, Israel, in Jerusalem, the other in Rome. But if they're told if they go up the, these stairs on their knees, praying that it can ensure plenary indulgences from sin. Back, back in 1817, Pope Pius VII granted an indulgence of nine years for every step. And in April of 2019, from April till July of that year, pilgrims were permitted to go up these stairs on the original uncovered marble. Now, when we were there, they were covered again. They've, they've got a different uh, a wooden covering on them. But for those few months, they could go, and, and, and hundreds flocked so that they could pray on their knees on the original marble to earn plenary indulgences. And it, to, to understand, these stairs actually are, are supposedly, they were taken to Rome from Jerusalem. Supposedly, these are the stairs that, that Jesus went up uh, when, when, when he was being tried. And the, the, the tradition is that uh, Helena, the mother of Constantine the Great, brought them to, to Rome. But I thought, to see this, and as we were there and we were actually allowed to, to go up and see these people coming up the stairs, praying at each step, and that if they do it sincerely, if they confess their sins, if they mean it from their heart, then they can, they can have less time in purgatory. And I thought, they have a zeal for God, but it's not according to knowledge. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, it's according to His mercy and that Christ is the end of the law. And, and I share this with us because I, I'm concerned that sometimes we, when we're further removed from, from some of these things, we hear somebody, well, they're talking about Jesus. They must be a Christian. Well, they, they mention God, so they must know God. No, we, we were surrounded with that, the pantheon, all gods. The accoutrements, the, the, the truth that is in so many places, as Pastor Ball mentioned, and yet the mercy and grace of God is missing. It's not enough to, to be sincere. A person has to have the clarity of the person and work, the cross work of Jesus Christ, God the Son, the, the, the God-man. 
because it's not by works of righteousness it's according to his mercy and so I want to take us back to where we began in Romans 10 that this would be our burden Paul's burden for the Jews my, my prayer for Israel is that they would be saved I bear witness they have a zeal for God as, as fascinating as it was to see this, my heart was grieved as I watched these people going up these stairs. I'd, I, I had my IBCS, you know, the just shall live by faith t-shirt that I wanted to wear. I thought it's probably not appropriate. I, I don't want to get kicked out of a basilica. <laughs> but I thought it, that, was the, that was the message that turned Martin Luther in fact, Pastor Mike had mentioned it was those stairs, those holy stairs that Martin Luther was going up praying when the Pope's illegitimate son came running down that was one of the turning points for Martin Luther where he said, something's not right here. And began reading, and the just shall live by faith. They're seeking to establish their own righteousness. That's what we heard at the Temple Institute. Oh, if you just do good works and, and we want to do right, if, if we can please the gods, whether, if you can get the majority of the Egyptian gods to vote for your eternal destiny, you'll be okay. Otherwise, you better have a light heart. Well, how do I get that? By doing good works. Yet, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Look, this is the gospel. This is the message we have to say, share. And, and it's for all of us. It's for Roman Catholics. It's for Mormons. It's for Muslims. It's for Jews. It's, it's for Baptists. I think sometimes we think, well, if, you know, okay, I'm saved by grace alone, but now I have to work. No, we have, but we have to tell others. Because it goes on in this passage, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God's raised him from the dead you will be saved for with the heart man believes to righteousness with the mouth confession is made to salvation the scripture says whoever believes on him will not be put to shame there is no distinction between Jew and Greek the Jew and Gentile for the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon him and whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved that is our hope. But our responsibility then is to tell others. How shall they call on him of whom they've not believed? How shall they believe in him of whom they've not heard? How shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. That it really was, again, that, that encouragement of the confidence that we have in God's word to see what has taken place but the responsibility and opportunity that we have to start in Rome and see the the beauty the splendor of buildings the sincere devotion of individuals whether it be in the receiving of the Eucharist or crawling upstairs to pray we we did in some of the other basilicas see people at the confessionals and all of this going on and, and you want to say but Christ is the end it is finished to see it at the the mosques and and realizing that eternity is in their hearts but folks as we give the gospel to also understand their conscience is on God's side why would the Pharaoh spend their entire reigning years trying to establish a, a place a dwelling place for their eternity 
because their conscience is on God's side. Eternity is written in their hearts. And so we have opportunity and responsibility. So thank you for your prayers. It was, it was a tremendous trip. And if you have opportunity, we, we want to do something like this again. We're looking at a number of options and different, different things. But really to, to understand that our Bible is a living book. And yet our, our, our confidence is in a risen, living Lord. And that we are standing on the promises. So appreciate your prayer. I hope this is an encouragement. I trust that there are some, some points that are a benefit. I want to share some, you know, you'll, you'll hear more in coming weeks because there are so many things and I'm, I'm going back and trying to, I, I, people ask, are you over the jet lag? I'm close. I'm much closer to our, our time zone now than I was last week. But appreciate the, the support of our ministry and the opportunity that we have of sharing the gospel. Let's, let's close in prayer.